0: Hey, this is Francis over at What a Hell of a Way to Die. If you're looking for stickers, patches, and pins for the lions led by donkeys, check out our lions collection over at our website, hellofawaytodie.com slash shop.
1: Hello,
0: and welcome to... Lions Love by Donkeys podcast. I'm the always incapable of doing his job host, Joe. <laughs> and with oh. me. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> with me is my co-host, Nick.
1: Hello, Nick. Are you going to do that in Spanish now? I can't speak Spanish. I think it's like, hola, bienvenido. O los, I can't say lions in Spanish, apparently. <laughs> Tigre. No, that's definitely tiger. No, oh, fuck stupid. Up. I think it's like Leonidas. <laughs> Leonidas yes sir
0: this is the scene from inglorious bastards where they're like you speak the third best italian like i don't speak italian like, that's why i said third best <laughs> i think that's just you
1: i definitely don't speak spanish like you i have spanish is one of those languages that you kind of understand in all honesty i understand more of it than i could speak it so i just make my grandma really unhappy <laughs> <laughs> i mean what is a
0: bigger tradition on this podcast than making our family disappointed in us I took two years of Spanish in high school because it was the only foreign language offered and we had to take it. Let's
1: see. How long did I live at home? I took 18 <laughs> years of Spanish. 17? <laughs> yeah, 17 to 18 years of Spanish. <laughs> this is-
0: I mean, that's like me and Armenian. Like my family all speaks Armenian. I barely fucking know.
1: And you're sitting there like, hey, Dolma, yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, bro, yeah. I know that word. I just pull my uh, my shirt collar down and flashed the chest hair. And they're like, yes. Ooh. So, Nick, when I left you this last time on part three, I left you in another cliffhanger because that's what we call good podcast writing. And I told you that Shamil Basayev, one of the many warlords in Chechnya, was staging an invasion of Russia. Now, the Russians, through sheer force of numbers of poor, poor human conscripts and bomb tonnage had finally taken the upper hand over the Chechen Republic of Itchkeria. The war was now growing increasingly unpopular in Russia as casualties mounted and people saw the horror that the Russian army had brought to bear against what most Russians saw as their fellow countrymen. I mean, the Russian soldiers and government were very racist towards Chechnya. And I think that there's a general baseline racism that Russians would have towards Chechens, but they still thought them to be citizens of Russia, right? Right. There's news footage this isn't like the soviet war in afghanistan like there is footage of these things you couldn't just bolt people into a fucking zinc coffin and drop them on someone's front. that age has passed there is something of a freedom of press
1: yeah could you
0: imagine the lawn care afterwards <laughs> it's like when you accidentally leave a piece of garbage out on your lawn and the, the the grass all dies around it yeah except it's your son <laughs> <laughs> So now several Russian republics, think of them as states, right? It's a federation, passed laws that said they would shield their young men from the law if they dodged the draft, knowing that they'd be sent to Chechnya for duty. Draft dodging skyrocketed across the country, and you couldn't find enough of the contract soldiers uh, to fill the gaps behind. Just imagine, like during Vietnam, if like Montana was like, no, if you dodge the draft, we're not going to arrest you. Like, that's kind of crazy, right? All right. That's really fucking cool. I don't often stand random Russian republics, but you know what? They deserve props. Draft dodging? Yes, sir. Meanwhile, the war in Chechnya was spreading. Chechen fighters, driven into the mountains and forests, fled into the surrounding republics of Ingushetia and Ossetia for safety. Only Russian forces followed them, invading more parts of their own country without authorization or, again, approval from parliament bringing along with them their careless carpet bombing and artillery strikes. Soldiers deployed into these areas lashed out at the civilians there too, even though they weren't in rebellion and occasionally got drunk and shot one another in full view of their commanders and, in one case, a state lawmaker what just yeah just imagine (laughs) like you are deployed to afghanistan or iraq or wherever the fuck else our next war is going to be and like you just get fucking trashed on boot polish and then shoot someone in front of the congressperson that came to visit who the fuck is carrying boot polish around If you carry that around to get fucked up, you need help. You have an artisanal taste. So like, you know, you guys are just going to have liquor mailed to you because it is that easy. I, on the other hand, I'm going to eat this boot polish, this bespoke alcoholic beverage.
1: Mmm, the Kiwi brand. Just imagine like gunning
0: down another soldier in front of like, I don't know, any Congress person who comes by for like a, a visit overseas. Like, because that's kind of what happened. Oh, he's visiting. Yeah, a member of the state Duma came down uh, to the war zone to see like, the conduct of, I believe it was where when troops went over to Oshetia. I want to see how my boys
1: are doing out there. Oh,
0: they're shooting each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. <sighs> Meanwhile, the Chechen Mufti Ahmed Kadriov declared that the Chechens were not simply fighting for independence from Russia, but they are fighting a holy war or jihad against the Russians for all of the Ummah or Islamic community. This is generally in stark contrast to what many warlords and the Chechen government had in mind. Dudaev was a Muslim like most Chechens, but saw the struggle against Russia as a national one, not a religious one. This would slowly start to shift as nationalist fighters died off or became radicalized by incoming new recruits from around the world. By the end of the war, and certainly by the start of the Second Chechen War, the Islamist fighters, rather than the nationalist ones like the National Guard, would become the driving force of the separatist movement. The mostly secular Chechens were wary of these guys at first, but as they were busy getting carpet bombed and shelled into oblivion, they weren't exactly in the position to turn down help. Right. And another thing this did was open up fundraising. Like a lot of Islamic charities that kind of work in a black market capacity to funnel money to certain groups poured money into Chechnya uh, for the fight as well. It was a very weird shift by 1996. And that's when Dudayev finally died. Uh, How did he die? Jokar Dudayev's opinion on the matter of the encroaching religious government movement was rendered pointless when he was assassinated via Russian airstrike in April of 1996. Oh. Yeah. Kadyrov's decision led uh, several prominent foreign fighters and their militias to find their way into the Chechen battlefield from places like Azerbaijan, Pakistan, and Saudi Arabia. Many of these men had also fought the Soviets in Afghanistan. So at this point, it's like, kind of like picking up an old hobby after a short break. Oh, okay. One of those guys is uh, kind of infamous, uh, named Abin al Khattab. He was a Saudi who saw what was going on in Chechnya while he was in Afghanistan. He had done fighting in Afghanistan, Tajikistan, and a few other places. Oh, okay. And he was like chilling on his couch in Afghanistan in late 1995, watching the news and saw that there was a war in Chechnya. And he was like, oh, I guess I'll go fight there. And then, like,
1: just went and did it. How could this year get any better?
0: Yeah. He picked up his shit, posed as a journalist, and then snuck over the border into Chechnya, which honestly didn't sound like it was that difficult. Like he didn't have to pose at all? No, (laughs) he he just walked in. He could have just walked across, yeah. Once there, he put a group together made up of other foreign fighters and some locals and began laying waste to the Russians. In one infamous battle uh, that was more of an ambush than a battle at Shatoy, he and his men cornered and nearly decimated an entire Russian battalion in three hours, losing only three men in the process. Jesus. What? Now, if you're wondering how could this happen, how could this have possibly unfolded in such a way? Absolutely. The entire ambush was videotaped and you can watch it. It's very graphic. I don't recommend it uh, unless you're us and your brain is broken and you're dead inside this videotaping of ambushes and IED strikes and things like that would become more and more common. This is actually something that happened in Afghanistan as well. They would be like on highlight reels on tape and be brought across the border and kind of like entice people to come for like, look at how we're winning, right? I mean, right. ISIS did the same thing, right? It's not uncommon.
1: Their video editing is super weird to me.
0: It's the, the video editing version of graphic design is my passion type people where it's like, no, I've watched a couple of YouTube videos. and I know how to do this. You do not, in fact, have to hand it to ISIS, but they can certainly edit footage
1: better than I can. I don't know about that. I don't even produce this podcast. Every once in a while when I went to the uh, computer lab and I did the slideshow and I made that shit disappear into like Thanos dust. I felt like a fucking baller.
0: <laughs> and, and Nick is going to pra- practice on like PowerPoint and then take an unpaid internship in a group called Boko Haram.
1: <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> These videos began to leak out. Despite hardcore Russian censorship of the realities of war, the video got on TV. And people were pretty horrified and demanded the resignation of Yeltsin and Grottschiff. But most people were pretty mad at Grottschiff in general. Nobody liked him anyway. Doesn't seem like a likable guy. Which should have happened years ago anyway, (laughs) you know? But it didn't matter because Daddy Yeltsin still loved his drunk boy. In another situation, sometimes called the Second Battle of Grozny on March of 1996, 2,000 Chechen fighters infiltrated the capital, attacking it from within. Now, they knew every alley and sewer line, and they kind of like popped up at random parts of the city set police stations on fire, steal or blow up ammo dumps. This is where they brought in uh, Zagayev, uh, again, to try to set up a loyal Russian government. And like they just like, slaughtered his police officers and stuff like that. And it just attempted to turn the entire city to chaos, which they did succeed in that. Right. Now, Dudayev is dead. Uh, and the formal presidency of Chechnya fell to a guy named Zemlikan Yandarbayev. He was a, a hardcore extremist and probably the most radical of anyone who could have taken power. Uh, you probably should have thought about that before you assassinated the last guy. Didn't think that one through. <sighs> now, Yander Bayev was originally a history teacher before picking up a gun and turning out to be someone who is incredibly hard to negotiate with. Uh, one Russian diplomat.
1: Didn't you want to be a history teacher? I was a history teacher. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. And, yeah, you know, actually, actually, uh, so was uh, a few other well-known figures from military history. Uh, it's kind of weird how that works out. Not that I'm a... a well-known figure of military history, but it's it's a weird track. You can be. <laughs> One day. <laughs> the Russian diplomat said it would be easier if Shamil Basayev, a man who, remember, was once accused of drinking his enemy's blood, had become president. That's the kind of guy Yandarbayev is. Right. He's a fucking dead eyed psycho. Though Yandere would eventually send a ceasefire in May of 1996 uh, that would immediately be ignored by both sides of the conflict. Something that continues to happen. It's just kind of crazy that uh, a Russian diplomat is like, no, no, the guy who invented a new execution style and then gargles the blood of dead Georgian soldiers. That guy would have been a better president. Clearly, so as negotiations stalled, Basayev would think of a new and more psychotic way to restart them—an attempt to end the war in June of 1996. Okay, so before Christmas? Yeah, he end the war by Christmas, putting a spin on an old classic. But though there is some backstory to this. Six months before this, nearly Basayev's entire family was killed in a targeted airstrike on his family home, killing his Jeez. wife, two children, and several members of his family. Now, I'm not saying I agree with anything that Shamil Basayev did in his entire life or what we're about to describe, but it does put a certain spin on the whole thing as being more of a revenge plot. Like a fucking Batman yeah. movie. Yeah, they created a fucking super villain, <laughs> which like Basayev's not alone in that. Now, he gathered a group of men, and they hid themselves in captured military trucks and smuggled themselves out of Chechnya. They made it about 70 miles to the town of Bundnovask, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing incorrectly. And in one of the trucks, the hundred or so dudes he was riding with got pulled over uh, by traffic police for speeding. The fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> God, imagine being a, a local cop in a very rural area of, of Russia. I'm like, oh, those military trucks are speeding. I'm going to pull them over. And then, like, a hundred fucking Chechen soldiers jump out. Like, Ugh, I was two days
1: from retirement. <laughs> imagine being the cop pulling them over. Like, why?
0: <laughs> Just a lot Like, who's going to pull over a military vehicle?
1: I've been pulled over. Yeah, I believe it. In Washington. <laughs> was it State Patrol? Because that explains a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that in
1: Washington, in order to do any type of big training, you have to go three hours out of the way onto the five. And you already know that's fucking hell on earth with a vehicle. Try it with a, a fucking military vehicle. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, the Washington State Patrol
0: pull you over for going two miles over the speed limit. They don't give a shit. We weren't
1: even going over speed limit. We just got pulled over for no reason. Were you driving? I was just making sure you guys' paperwork was right. We're like, dude, really? I was under the impression that uh, someone who was not white was
0: driving this truck. Ah, oh, shit. I was TC. <laughs> that see, was there,
1: there you go. I was fucking good.
0: State patrol climbs in through the window like, Sir, are you Mexican? Like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was like when you were driving around my little ass town oh, and yeah. got pulled <laughs> over four different times for just <laughs> looking different. Yeah, Washington. It's great, folks. That, that, that's like... One of my favorite, this is completely off topic. I don't care. But like, is one of my favorite things with the Pacific Northwest. Everybody's like, oh, you fucking stupid liberal hippies. Like that is the most racist fucking place I have ever lived. And I lived in Texas, you know? Ooh,
1: yeah. It's kind of incredible that people don't realize well, that. I also attribute it to the area that we also lived in. Sure.
0: I mean, would that happen in Seattle? Yeah, probably. But Absolutely. instead of getting pulled over Seattle PD would just start fucking hitting you. The Pacific Northwest is absolutely one of the most racist places I've ever lived. It's just on the down low. Everybody just thinks of like Seattle and Portland, and they don't think, oh of yeah, Very everything progressive. else. The place that you can probably afford to live in. Uh, Basayev and his men decided, "Fuck it, we're we got far enough. This is good." So they jumped out of the truck and began shooting wildly in every direction. Fuck it, Death Blossom. <laughs> like. I'm sure the cops were pretty much immediately killed. They raided local government offices and eventually raised the flag of the Chechen Republic over the local police station. Baller move. (laughs) Yeah, big dick energy. Big warlord energy. And then when Russian reinforcements began to arrive, they retreated into the local hospital, taking the entire thing hostage with all of its occupants inside. I was
1: just here for a
0: checkup. Yeah, just going there to get like a fucking allergy shot and you get held up by militants. They had about 100 people, give or take. They were spread out uh, around several buildings. But the population within the hospital is hard to nail down. But it's thought to be as high as 2,000 people. Jesus, Just taking a whole small town hostage. Which, I mean, to be fair, they also did that once, too. Okay. And the Russians took it back by blowing the village up. Jesus. <laughs> you can't hold the hostage if we kill them all. Which, to be <laughs> fair, that was also their tactic in the Moscow theater crisis as well. Like,
1: we'll just kill everyone and you'll have no hostages. <laughs> Face. It's problem solved. Scoreboard! <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're doing that all. well, my job's done
0: here. It's that meme of the guy tapping his head. Can't have a hostage crisis if I kill all the hostages. It's true. It's true, though. Yeah. Using these hostages, Basayev began making demands. And this isn't even the first time this occurred during the war. Early in the same year, a- another warlord named Salman Uldayev led a group of fighters over the border into Dagestan and raided a Russian air base.
1: Whenever you say Dagestan, I'm just thinking... You know, fucking UFC and... (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The 100%. Khabib. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that is where Khabib Nurmagomedov is from.
1: Yeah. I
0: believe. Yeah. I think if I already pointed out at one point during the series, I just don't remember. I think it was the first episode. Uh, Now, as they were leaving the airbase, they had around 200 men and they got chased off by Russian reinforcements. So they entered the nearby town of Kislar and then took the entire fucking thing hostage, which amounted to be around 1200 people. They're on a roll here. The Russians attempted to storm the village, but eventually decided just to flatten it with artillery and rockets after the rescue mission failed. Well, Daev used the surviving hostages as a negotiation tool to secure their safe passage back to Chechnya, but it didn't work and the Russians ambushed them anyway, killing more hostages in the process. This whole ordeal did not slow the Chechens down. They have momentum. What it did show is if you're Chechen, if you're a fighter and you take Russian civilians hostage, uh, they will probably negotiate with you, which is like they kind of do over their own POWs, but not really. This is a lesson learned because you know, you're know you a fucking psycho threatening his own civilians. But in order to prove his point that he meant business, Basayev said if the Russians did not start the negotiation process, and by this, I mean... Negotiating him about ending the war in chechnya he would start shooting hostages this is disregarded as a bluff by the russian security minister so basayev proved him wrong by shooting a whole bunch of hostages at random in the hospital huh yeah i bet that guy felt like a real asshole after yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> he's not doing it he's bluffing <laughs> sir uh we we hear gunshots coming from the hospital uh. blanks
1: i tell you blanks <laughs> yeah they're crisis actors
0: Yeah, this led to a rescue attempt by interior ministry troops and special forces. Soldiers fired blindly into the front window of the hospital to distract the Chechens while members of the special forces alpha group advanced unseen from a different angle. They succeeded in two things, killing a whole lot of hostages at the front of the hospital and capturing a few parts of the hospital where the alpha group was. But the vast majority of the hospital and therefore the hostages were left in Chechen control. Two hours <laughs> later, the Russians tried again, killing more hostages and gaining no more ground. What the fuck?
1: <laughs> like the Czechs we'll are like, guys, them. we're not even doing anything. <laughs> yeah, we'll distract them. You go in through the window where they can't see you right there. That's the, the front window right next to the door you're shooting. Exactly. Yeah. What if we do suppressive fire directly
0: into the hospital full of innocent civilians? They'll never see that move coming. Wild Chunk card, it. bitches!
1: <laughs> yeah, wild
0: card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when Basayev got on the phone to yell at the negotiators. He was told these forces were acting completely independently from government control. I have no idea if that's true or not. Or the Russian commanders were like, yeah, I'm not owning this one.
1: <laughs> I would call and be like, I don't think you guys are good at your job.
0: <laughs> yeah. like
1: At this point, Basayev
0: knows how to deal with Russians. And I think even he is kind of astonished by this, right? You guys are metal. <laughs> like, Could you guys stop shooting all the hostages? Before long, I'm not going to have any leverage. I don't have any hostages to shoot anymore. You shot them all. By June nineteenth, after nearly a week-long standoff, the Russians
1: stopped <laughs> trying to retake the hospital. So, I just imagine the snipers were looking at hostages and be like, I got a clean shot. <laughs> and they, they could see the terrorists, but they're just what? looking at the hostages.
0: <laughs> no, don't don't shoot the terrorist. The nurse. Take her out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Now, The war wouldn't end at this hostage taking extravaganza, but Basayev and his men would release the remaining hostages. And then incredibly, all of them wounded, all of them shot in the (laughs) knees, Uh, all of them would be allowed to return to Chechnya using a few volunteer hostages as human shields. Okay. By the end, 130 civilians, 18 policemen, and 18 soldiers were killed, along with 500 people being wounded. And uh, 11 of Basayev's men
1: were killed as well. Those are not good numbers. No. This is like the bad news bears of hostage situation. And like Basayev said that
0: he got all the men's bodies back to Chechnya by like shoving them all in a refrigeration truck. I mean, you
1: got to slow down the decomposition.
0: Priorities, I guess. How many of you don't need them anymore? Just throw them, outside, throw them in the dumpster. <laughs> the Russian response to this in, uh, incident nearly toppled the government and deflated any possible morale that the Russians had previous to this from taking the Chechen capital of Grozny and attempting to install their own friendly government. The Russians and Chechens once again signed a ceasefire in order to lead to negotiations. The negotiations, of course, would be the end of the war. Everyone would assume that this would be fast this time around, but it wouldn't. By July, the entire process had collapsed once again. While military operations had been ongoing, the Russian government pulled out of the agreement and large scale operations continued after that. Uh, okay. During the negotiations, they were still doing I guess what we would consider counterinsurgency, like doing patrols and stuff. They weren't like planning any offensives into the mountain or anything right. like that. But with uh, uh, Yandarbayev and the uh, Russian government were having arguments, and it all came down to like the status of Chechnya. The Russians weren't even like fully against pulling out of Chechnya, but they're like, no, 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 we'll leave, but you still have to be part of Russia. And like Yandarbayev like, why the fuck do you think we're fighting? Like,
1: what the fuck?
0: <laughs> yeah, the Russian government wanted a. They were fine with an empty victory. They just needed. They just needed something to like say that they won. Like no, no. You you can win by us pulling all your troops back all of our troops back, but like you also have to like be part of
1: Russia so we can look good. They're gonna have that OT loss where it's like it's got the three fucking uh, records on there. What do you mean? Where it's like it just doesn't even matter. <laughs> Pretty much. That OT win that nobody really cares about. It's like the the
0: when you're watching football and they suddenly somehow manage you get a tie. Like, how oh, the fuck yeah. did you do that? Now, for our European listeners, I mean hand egg or gridiron or whatever the fuck that's called. not soccer. But the negotiations fell apart and large scale operations continued once again. Now, if you're in the Russian army in the 1990s, that, that just means drinking a bunch of vodka and shooting each other, I guess. There's another thing. Uh, they wanted the war to end on positive terms because Boris Yeltsin had a presidential election in 1996, right? Right. But he won anyway. Uh, because most people uh, kind of think that he, it was crooked, which probably yeah. believable. Yeah, uh, Boris Yeltsin won re-election in 1996, and he finally fired Pavel Grachev. So we got that one oh, for us. Yeah. Only two years and one entire war too late. (laughs) That was the lone bright spot as he campaigned on ending the war, uh, which was only about to get worse for Russia, despite Yeltsin declaring the entire thing done and over and won back in May, if you remember. The Russians were massing their forces in the south of Chechnya, where the bulk of the rebels had held up in the mountains after losing the capital. They're expecting a brutal but decisive fight that would finally smash them once and for all and they uh, had been funneling more and more men from the, like, the main garrison, of Grozny, more tanks, more everything. South, everything is getting sent further south. Now, obviously, this battle doesn't happen. Uh, what happens instead is that the Chechens saw and knew exactly what they were doing. And it meant they pulled thousands of people out of Grozny to move them south. So... Basayev and a few other warlords gathered around 1,500 men, armed mostly with small arms, and infiltrated the city again. Good, 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 good. Like last time, they knew the city much better than the 12,000 or so Russians that were occupying it, and it made sneaking in pretty fucking easy. This is generally considered the third battle of Grozny, though it's hard to put a, a hard line in the sand, right? Because, like, Grozny was never pacified. Right? They were still fighting in Grozny all the time. Right. If anything, the first battle of Grozny just kind of lasted for a couple of years. Generally, to sneak into the city, all these guys had to do was avoid a couple of checkpoints that had set up on some streets because you know, securing a whole city is, sounds pretty annoying and hard. So you don't really want to like, try too hard, right? Like, you don't right. want to... Actually always- overachieve. The Russians couldn't even get a cordon that functioned when they were actively attempting to invade the city. Now that they thought that they had won, it was effectively like I don't know, like going to a, a military base where the only thing keeping you going through the traffic control point is honesty. You can easily sneak onto any military base; it's not guarded. Just just stay away from the entry points, and nobody fucking knows, right? But honesty keeps you going. Oh, I'm going to go through the ECP. And like all the all the Chechens did was like, I'm I'm going to go around. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'll be about 500 meters down that way. And y'all ain't gonna fucking see me. Let me just go down one block. Yeah, exactly. Right now. The Chechen plan of attack uh, was to target various points like the airport, uh, various government buildings, intelligence services, all these government ministries that had moved back into the city after the Russians had retaken it. They were going to target them specifically, kind of like what they did last time of surrounding uh, areas of Russian control and just kind of trying to snuff them out. And on August 6th, 1996, it began again, right as Boris Yeltsin is being sworn in for another term as president. Oh, as Chechen fighters broke up the Russian defenses, much like the first time, splitting them into smaller groups and slowly picking them off. Yeltsin had just gone on vacation. I mean, I would. (laughs) <laughs> nah, I guess don't. I mean alright to be fair there's nothing that Boris Yeltsin could have done to make the situation any better he could only make it worse this guy wasn't a military
1: officer where the fuck would he go on vacation I think a lot of them go down to, like the Black Sea I doesn't sound fun oh, I mean as a beach I guess I feel like that beach is depressing yeah <laughs> <laughs> like uh, there's the- just cigarette butts laying <laughs> everywhere
0: <laughs> cigarette butts and sunflower seeds <laughs> yeah like what the fuck Y'all want to go down to the beach?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just broken vodka bottles everywhere. Uh, I mean, to be fair, we are also like describing Brighton Beach, New York. I don't know if you've ever been there. But I've that, never that's, been to New York. That's uh, So for reference, that's where um, the Lord of War starts in. That's
1: Brighton Beach. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying now. Yeah. Him
0: going on vacation and left. he left the entire problem to be figured out by the defense minister. The problem was since Yeltsin's re-election, it's pretty obvious that he's getting older, sicker, and drunker. Uh, he's less in the control of day-to-day functions and spending either time completely blackout drunk or like he was living part-time in a sanitarium, which is like old-timey speak for like chronically sick people. Uh, right. for, uh, you know, it's almost like hospice, right? I mean, he wasn't dying, but he, was, he almost lived there every day there's like internal political battles over who was really in control. Uh, according to a guy named Gennady Zhuganov, the guy who actually came in second place in the election, this led to various parts of the Kremlin passing different orders down to the front lines through generals they considered loyal to them, not necessarily good ones or any good battle plans for you know, whatever reason. Right. So by the time that orders finally got down to soldiers fighting in and around Grozny, they made no sense. It's that telephone game again. Uh, some soldiers were told to advance and reinforce those trapped in Grazny, while still others were told to retreat. Other units were given explicit orders to recapture the city by the time Yeltsin was inaugurated, leading to something that looked like a lot of, like, human wave attacks, as Russian commanders tried desperately to meet a tight timeline rather than objective goals. Like, uh, th- this isn't something that is unheard of. This happens, like, uh, trying to get something done by like the centennial, or like there was an incident in the Soviet Union where they like they accidentally blew up like a hundred fucking people with a rocket. Jeez, they they rushed uh, safety procedures so they could get things done by like a specific date. It was like the t- ugh, fucking hundredth anniversary of the Russian Revolution or something. I don't re- fucking remember, but like the, it continually just uh, setting arbitrary timelines for things that don't need them, but you know, each time they failed in face of such a clusterfuck, Yeltsin blamed everyone who wasn't him, including the totally powerless regional government led by Zagayev that he had just put in place to take charge of Grozny over uh, like the year before and had no actual political power because again, he didn't control anything. Right. You know, like Russians actually did do something that should remind a lot of people of something American soldiers did recently to prepare for counterattacks. They had been so uh, badly mauled by Chechen RPG teams. They now began to weld armor onto their vehicles to protect themselves, including cages that would detonate RPGs before they hit the bodies of tanks or APCs. We called that hillbilly armor in Iraq. People were welding a giant pieces of uh, like cages for one. Uh, you'd see sandbags, logs, things like that uh, because they're, that actually wasn't good enough, you know. Uh, they were just getting mauled and eaten alive by RPG sevens, right? But the day before, this Ahmed Zakayev and uh, had taken a, a a train station and uh, included in that train. I mean, the battle killed like a three hundred uh, r- Russian soldiers, so like it was it wasn't a small battle. Uh, but he also found a lot of the supplies they had left behind. One of those things they left behind was crates of something called an RPO launcher. Now, this launched a thermobaric warhead, effectively a rocket-propelled flamethrower. Okay, this is what I'm... Yeah. Now, if this sounds like it would not be effective against armor, you'd be right. You can't just flamethrower a tank and kill people inside. But it didn't have to be. Chechen fighters would shoot these things at the, uh, the Russians, and despite fighting in this war for two goddamn years, they had not stopped riding on tanks and APCs as a common mode of transportation for infantry. This means when the armor was relatively unscathed, the infantry would be melted to the outside of the tanks. Oh. Yeah. Also, remember this, I, I keep pointing this out, it's been almost two years, right? That meant that there's several different waves of soldiers that's been drafted, done their time in Chechnya, their draft time is over, they go home, new draftees come in. There's no trickle-down of experience, that makes any sense. Uh, there's, no, there's no like hardcore veterans. You do your 12 months and you get the fuck out of there. You get new draftees in, and they'd be very inexperienced uh, due to draft rotations, would see uh, a fireball engulf their goddamn vehicle, assume they're on fire, and then abandon their vehicle. Uh, this, you know, thinking you're about to explode or or whatever, right? Uh, and to be fair, maybe they were uh, going to, you know, it's, it's maybe it like lights off a fuel uh, reserve or something. But they would jump out as soon as they jump out, they'd get machine gunned, and then the Chechens would take the view. good time. Yeah, In another part of the city where Russians and Chechens were fighting. Russians decided to hit the Chechens with a Uno reverse card, trapped and with no way out. Russian troops burst into a nearby hospital and held 500 hostages <laughs> until, the, until the Chechen fighters allowed them to leave.
1: I mean, <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do.
0: Like, the Chechen's like, God damn it, we gave him an idea. Fucking. It worked. It's not even original. Yeah, it, it fucking worked. Uh, the Chechen's like, okay, okay, you can get out, you, you can leave, it's fine. Which is better about it. Kind of surprising. It doesn't seem like they really tried to take it back. The Russians told them that, you know, if you don't let us go, we'll start killing all these civilians. And the Chechens like, damn, bro, okay, fine. Fuck. (laughs) Like, turn it down a notch, man. Now in another group, this did not work. A group of pro-Russian Chechen Oman police officers attempted to surrender to Chechen fighters led by a guy named Doka Omarov. These police officers had taken hostages. And uh, Omarov said that if they surrendered and handed over their firearm, you know, let the hostages go, they'd be freely given passage out of the city. Instead, what happened is they were disarmed and executed. Ooh. Yeah. The only survivor was a colonel named Syed Magomed Kakiyev, who was shot and then played dead until the, I guess, the Chechens didn't want to, like, double tap. Yeah. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. It's weird how that happens, because, I mean, it was a rather large group. I think it was 30 or so guys. Like, if you're going to go through the effort of committing gross war crimes, you're not going to double-check your work?
1: No, you don't need to. I
0: guess. It's hard to really describe the, what was going on in the city because the Russian defenders in the city had no real um, command and control. There was no cohesive effort. It was almost as if... I mean, this kind of goes for the Chechens too, right? The warlords had their own independent militias and Dudayev's National Guard has largely been rendered uh, non-existent at this point. Everybody's just kind of working in cliques, I guess. There's no overall tactical control. Everybody is just kind of like, it's small groups of dudes fighting other small groups of dudes held up in the city. And mind you, like the Russians outnumber them by about 10,000. Oh, yeah. That should show just how disorganized they were. They could not mass their forces. Russians kept introducing more and more forces into the city in a piecemeal fashion. Now, I read a War College paper by a US Army officer on this war and in this battle. Uh, that point out that one of the biggest weaknesses that the Russians faced was that their seeming total inability to coordinate different units to support one another. Uh, like at no point did this in this war did Chechens even come close to equaling the firepower or numbers that Russians brought to the battle. And in reality, they should have been brushed aside in all of these fights. Right. The writer compares what the Russians did to attempting to punch someone with a fist, but it's a fist you couldn't close. So like, cause since you can mass your fingers into a fist, say I'm trying to punch you, but I have like two fingers sticking out and I just break my fucking fingers. Ouch. Might as well slap them. Yeah. Uh, so each time the Russians tried to reinforce or rescue forces trapped within the city, they would send in single brigades or sometimes an entire regiment of 900 soldiers. But As I learned during the first battle, if you're attacking the city, you need more fucking people than that. You need support elements. Right. You know, you need multiple units of this size working together. Uh, Instead, they just kept feeding these units in one at a time to be fucking like... like It was like feeding conscripts into a wood chipper. Right? This one will break them down. Yep. Uh, The last three brigades didn't work. Uh, This fourth one should. Sir, we have three other brigades, but I would we just send them all in together. No, no, no. One at a time. Like if you're a nameless goon in like a Jet Li movie, we need to oh, attack them yeah. one at a time. <laughs> Nearly half of the 276th Motor Rifle Regiment was destroyed and almost the entirety of the 205th Motor Rifle Brigade. Each time this would happen, the Russians did what they always did. Carpet bombed and shelled the city. Though, this time they did mostly manage not to blow themselves up. So, I mean, I guess they learned that. But instead, they wiped out a convoy of refugees that was packed and everything that moved, trying to get the fuck out of the city. Oh. Yeah. And when the convoy of refugees made it through the bombing, all men above the age of 11, which they considered military age, were sent back into the city by Russian forces uh, to probably be killed in that airstrike. Right. Now, to be fair, there were were a lot of child soldiers fighting with the Chechens, which is fucked. But so the, the Russians considered pretty much every boy to be military aged. Now, fully embarrassed that their much larger army had once again gotten fucking dusted. On August 19th, General Konstantin Polakovsky demanded the Chechens surrender or face an all out attack, which, if you're Russian, meant a total carpet bombing of the city. Right. Now, if you're wondering, what about all those thousands of Russian soldiers inside? Polakovsky didn't seem to be too worried about that. Uh, he, he gave this warning to the Chechens without approval of the government or any other layer of the military. Oh, fuck. This bombing would have almost certainly killed thousands of his own soldiers, not to mention however many civilians are still in the city, which... You know, the Russians had already killed.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: I don't know. It's this is weird. Like he just was giving unauthorized threats, and that that was enough for a guy named Alexander Lebed. He, he was he was the man that Yeltsin had put in charge of the situation because he was too fucked up or sick to handle it himself. And Lebed came to a conclusion: they had to end their war because the only option was attempting to retake Grozny again. And just holding on to the small pockets that were still there for the third time around had cost them thousands of soldiers or doing what Polkovsky wanted to do, which was wiping the city off the face of the planet. And you know, this was alongside the war becoming so unpopular in Russia, there's like protests against it, things like that. Right. And, you know, again, the president is so sick, he's living in a sanitarium. Like we can't keep doing all of these things. Like we have to like end the fucking war. But just because he's in charge of the situation didn't mean the government was actually working together. Segments of the government and military did not want the war to end. If that sounds familiar, it should. I can see why. uh, Because everything that happened so far made the government and the military look like shit. This turned into something of a power struggle. uh, When the prime minister came out in favor of ending the war, someone tried to blow his car up. Jesus. Yeah. A lot of the rationale that they ha- a lot of these guys have is, like, if we just take Grozny and crush uh, Yonderbaev and, like, whatever remains of his army, that will regain our prestige, right? It won't. There's, there's no way you're coming back from this. Right? Clearly, it's
1: not working so far.
0: Right, right. It's just not winnable. Like, that was the thing that, like, uh, lebad pointed out was, like, the only thing that we can do is retake Grozny and do this a third or a fourth time. And we all remember how that went last time, right? Yeah. So, on August 20th, Lebed declared a ceasefire, and then 10 days later, the Casa Yurt Accords were assigned, effectively ending the war. Well, oh, that's good. Now, this entire treaty is kind of fucked. While it did mean all federal Russian forces had to leave the Republic of Chechnya, it didn't officially figure out the status of Chechnya as a nation or a territory or anything. Instead, it is... What has to be the greatest kicking the can down the road I've ever seen in the form of diplomacy? It would leave them in limbo as they did just before the war started. As an extra fuck you to pretty much all of Russia and Chechnya, it stipulated that any agreement made between Chechnya and Russia regarding the status or independence would have to be made sometime after 2001. Now, if you're thinking, what's the significance of 2001? Yeltsin would be out of office and it would be someone else's job to fucking deal with. That's literally what it was. And you know who that guy ended up being? Vladimir Putin. What? Yep. Uh, Because he'd be the next president and he would immediately lead into the second Chechen war. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. There's a whole lot more to it, obviously, than that. But the line in the Casa Yurt Accord is like, this isn't my problem anymore. Like you have to wait until we get another president. We're just gonna hold off on this. Yeah, we're gonna hit a we're gonna hit a big old pause button on this whole war thing. Like that that is the most diplomatic kicking the can down the road I've ever heard of. It's kind of impressive. I mean, I guess that's all like an armistice is like, but still, it's kind of like they they, he didn't even try to hide it. Like no 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 I I want nothing to do with this. (laughs) In the treaty, both sides agreed to never use force again to solve their disputes. If you can't tell from my laughter, that did not happen. In agreement, they would both break multiple times over the course of two more wars in the next few years.
1: They might as well just bunched up into one war. Yeah, like uh, we really need to
0: uh, uh, centralize our, our our warring. Chechnya was left in limbo with its capital being described as the most destroyed place on earth. Tens of thousands of people were dead, with doctors at the border saying at least 50,000 civilians were killed out of a population of just 1 million. Jeez nominally independent and name only and cut off from the russian government the entire country fell into a state of complete and total disrepair lacking the funds knowledge or manpower to do so none of the republic's infrastructure was rebuilt after the war ended mashkadov now in charge of the entire mess was unable and unwilling in some ways to bring safety and security or even an end to the reign of countless armed bands of former fighters turned bandits and kidnappers The only nation who recognized the Republic's independence, strangely enough, was the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, which is the Taliban, (laughs) (laughs) which, to be fair, that means one more nation recognized Chechnya than the Confederate States of America. (laughs) I I love that.
1: (laughs) That is great. And I think three recognized
0: the Taliban. I think three countries recognized the Taliban. Uh, I think it was like Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, and maybe in one uh, Oman or something like that. I don't know. When Russia agreed to send war reparations to try to rebuild some of what was destroyed, it was all stolen by corrupt officials. Guns, explosives, Ooh, and even right. tanks were sold openly on the street, which I really want to know what the running price for a tank was. Right? I got fifty bucks. Is it running? Get- how many miles does it have on it? A lot. I mean, from Moscow to Chechnya, and then not much more after that. <laughs> These weapons that were bought and sold openly in the street would then be used against one another in gang or politically motivated killings and assassinations and things like that. Can you imagine fucking gang violence with a fucking tank? That's, I mean, that's the, that's the dystopian future I hope for. Like, if we're going to go full failed state, end of the war type shit, I want to see someone do a drive by using a main gun. That'd be fucking insane. (laughs) (laughs) Like
1: coaxial. All right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: And there's like no real shortage of like the only thing they have a shortage of is like gas uh, because like their oil infrastructure was decimated. But like they have an endless supply of ammunition for the fucker. Oh, absolutely. Slowly, the Islamic fundamentalist sect of the warlords began to get more and more influential and Mashkadov tried to keep up with them in order to keep his own political power eventually instituting Sharia law in the Republic, which ended his own Sharia court, deciding his parliament was not following religious law, leading to it to be disbanded. What the fuck? (laughs) How? I mean, it's like, it's it's a game of political chicken. And it's like an incredible cell phone, right? Like, no, no, no. I am also very religious, just like these (laughs) men. Like, oh, my religious court says that I'm against religion. Fuck. (laughs) Uh, You know what? I guess I have to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Francis. Uh, Our our friend over at Hell of a Way to Die, uh, Francis Horton, put a whole bunch of new stuff on the soundboard after deleting the Soviet national anthem on accident. So, you know, it's kind of revolutionary. But (laughs) meanwhile... More and more hardcore fundamentalists formed their own government to rival his, naming themselves the Mekshura and declaring that they would expand their Islamic state throughout the surrounding regions. In 1999, they would try to do just that. Independent from the actual government of Mashkadoff, thousands of fighters led by Shamil Basayev and Eben al-Khattab, invaded the Russian Republic of Dagestan, setting the stage for the Second Chechen War and President Vladimir Putin ending independent Chechnya once and for all under a st- massive hail of artillery strikes and tens of thousands of civilian casualties. And that is the First Chechen War. All right. I, I like to end things on a high note, <laughs> you know? I really don't like to be, be much of a downer.
1: Oh, yeah. I can tell.
0: Yeah. Before we go into the question from Legion, I do want to thank everybody for listening to this. I wanted to do the Chechen wars for quite some time. They're really not known about in the West because, I mean, Russia isn't too happy with them either. Um, I mean... Does not make them look good. <laughs> you see a lot of breadcrumbs that lead from like one conflict to another, especially people like Basayev and Albin al khattab being like the forest gump of war through the caucuses. It's it's really weird. So thank you everybody for joining us. But we do a thing on the show called Question from the Legion. I swear I'm eventually gonna have a sound effect for that. I don't have one yet. If you would like to ask us a question from the Legion, you can donate to the show, you know, a dollar, whatever slide into my DMs, talk to us on Patreon and one of the threads on there and ask us a question. And today's question is, oh, God, uh, it's pretty obvious that we're both each sports fans, various different sports, mostly hockey for me. Uh, you're mostly a baseball guy, aren't you? Baseball, hockey. Yeah. What is one hot take that you have involving sports that you think some people would hate? Ooh. God, I don't even think I have one. I'll tailor mine to baseball uh, because you know more about baseball than I do, and that is Babe Ruth sucks. I don't like I did I don't like Babe Ruth either. I'll so. say I say this because he was hitting balls thrown off only white men. Uh, he only had to compete against white dudes, and those those fastballs are going like fifty miles an hour.
1: Yeah, like <laughs> first of all, if you see their pitching form, not good. Their throwing <laughs> right. form was awful. Also, their hitting form awful as well.
0: Right, like I can respect a man who's considered a peak athlete while eating like dog shit and chain smoking and drinking. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Do I consider him like one of the all time greats of baseball? No, maybe in the old timey days, but like we're past that, man. That shit was like the fuck? this was like hundred
1: goddamn years ago. When I play MLB the Show and he's a diamond card, <laughs> <it's> why. <laughs> yeah, why? Yeah, why is he not getting fucking a heart attack for a ball coming at him at ninety? <laughs> There's a reason why he's not known for his like
0: field abilities. Like, nobody's cool. ever like, "Oh man, he uh, he really hustled to get that ball." Wow, out. he's looking real athletic out there. <laughs> Just the body composition of like Bisquick and sprinting after a loose ball. I I don't, I don't buy it. I'm pretty sure he was a douchebag. I'm sure he was. I mean, one of my favorite players in baseball history was clearly a man who was not all all well in his head. And he was, fuck, I forget which team he played for but he was a pitcher and he would just run off the diamond whenever fire trucks went by. Cause he liked chasing fire trucks. Huh? Yeah. Uh, God damn. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, I think it was like the Rube or something like that. Fuck. I don't know. Uh, but like, those are the people we should champion in baseball. Not Babe Ruth. Jesus <laughs> Christ.
1: <laughs> All right. Here's one just to tug on you. Steve eyes. Iser- <laughs> uh, I'll fight you. i'll, I'll- <laughs> Well,
0: well, finish finish your opinion, sir. Oh, I didn't have one. I just wanted oh, to see bitch. what would happen. <laughs> I like Steve Eiserman. No, I mean he's he's, he's good. Uh, you know, one day he's general manager of the Red Wings now. I'm yeah, doesn't he own like Detroit or something? I mean, metaphysically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still convinced that Steve Eiserman could run for governor of Michigan and win. Like he doesn't actually have to have like any political. Stances, uh, he could just like you know, show up to a debate wearing his old, you know, 19 sweater and then just like slap a puck against the wall and then like shrug and be
1: like, Yeah, good point. Count the rings, bitch. Or <laughs> what was that one tra- thing that uh, George Bush did when he was playing golf after he was done talking about the terrorism? He's like, Watch this drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like we don't need to talk about the
0: deficit, let's watch this wrist shot. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Yes, I would vote for him. So, uh, Nick, thank you. Uh, Everybody, thanks for supporting the show, making everything that we do possible. Send us your questions. Until next time, if you're in a pinch, take hostages. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) I don't know if I could say that. Here's my backup. Uh,
1: You're getting a speeding ticket, sir. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Just drive to the nearest hospital. (laughs) Fuck. Later.